Good day and welcome to the ESPN and Wimbledon conference call. Today's call is being recorded. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to Dave Nagel. Please go ahead. Thank you, Glenn. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. The Wimbledon fortnight begins Monday. The usual all-day, every-day coverage from ESPN TV and ESPN3 with up to 15 courts at once at uh, your choice, all the action from around the grounds. Although qualifying is being distributed for the first time, and that's on ESPN3 this week. I don't think they got any in, maybe just a little today with the rain, but it uh, continues tomorrow and Thursday at 6 a.m. Uh, there's lots to talk about in this sport, the top players, the surprises, the old guard versus the new. And here to sort it all out is Chrissy Everett, speaking to us from Colorado, and Brad Gilbert in Northern California, where he is still celebrating the Golden State Warriors championship. They'll be in London uh, soon, and they'll have a very busy two weeks uh, for ESPN. We will go around the room as always. We'll try to get to everybody. I'm sure we will. And I will tell you who's up and who is on deck. And batting leadoff from the Associated Press, Howard Fendrich. And on deck from the nation's capital, Kellen Sung at the Washington Post. Hello, Howard. Hi. Uh, thanks, uh, Chris and Brad, for doing this call. Uh, just want to ask both of you what you made of, uh, of uh, Petra Kvitova's return from what happened to her in December, are you uh, are you surprised at all how quickly she seems to have been able to find a, a top level of play? And, and uh, do you consider her a serious title contender at Wimbledon, um, given her past success there? Do you want me to go first, Brad? Ladies yeah, first. go ahead, Dizzy. Okay. Um, I'm very surprised. I'm very surprised uh, only because, you know, when you take that much time off, you have to anticipate some rustiness. Um, I was, I was even, I was very surprised even with Sharapova when she came back. Cause that was a much longer time, but um, for her to come back and I thought it was a very wise choice for her to, to play the French, you know, just kind of, get those matches, get that match or those matches out of the way, get the rustiness out of the way, get all the press out of the way, um, and then sort of make the, the, the road clear for her to play on her best surface, which is grass. And for her to win the tournament in Birmingham was awesome. I think East, I mean, to me, she is the best grass court player that is playing at Wimbledon. And seeing that there are not too many, if any, grass court specialist uh, in the in the tournament, she is the one that I think everybody has to look out for. If she can get through the first couple of rounds, you know, which, which are always a little bit dangerous for any top player because um, you don't know the conditions of the court and you don't know, you know, your opponent might be hot. But if she can get a few more matches in the first week of the tournament, um, you know, she, to me, is would have, she's my favorite. I mean, she's definitely, she's definitely up there. So happy for her. She's, she's, I think that was such a scare that she went through that um, it's made her just appreciate the game a lot more. And she's certainly more relaxed. You can, you can tell by her press conferences, the way she speaks, she's just happy to be out there. And that's really freeing her up to just play her best tennis. And it just, you know, fortunately for her, it comes, comes, 
she's coming back at a time when um, she's playing on her favorite surface, the, the Grand Slam, the two Grand Slams she's won. So it's all looking good for her right now. Well, I, I'll think in her second tournament back, I think it was a great effort, uh, considering she, you know, I think I read that she still doesn't have full use of a couple of her fingers on her hand, so obviously she's made the adjustment, you know, to figuring out, you know, what she needs to do holding the racket. Um, I, I mean, two favorites, you, you know, mentally I'll put out are, are her and Venus, but very much like I said in the French on the conference call, I think Chrissy remembers it. I said that at least 30 women could win the French, and I wouldn't even put Ostapenko's name on that list of 30 because she hadn't even wow. won a WTA tournament. So I will double down and say that 30 women, 40 women could win Wimbledon, and the field is without a doubt the clear favorite on the women's side. Thanks. Uh, good for you, Howard. Wow. Uh, All right, next up, Kellen Sung in Washington, and then um, Michelle Kaufman at the Miami Herald. Kellen? Uh, thanks, Christine and Brad. I have uh, two questions, one on the women's side and one on the men's side. Um, is, you know, I guess what type of uh, women's player would be successful in today's tour? Because you have someone like Ostapenko who – you know, hits the ball big, um, Kerber's a little more defensive. What, I guess, what type mm -hmm. of player, like Brad, you said, any 40, you know, w women could win the title. What type of player do you see winning the title at Wimbledon? And also on the men's side, uh, you know, at the post here, we've written about Francis Tiafo a lot. You know, is he on track at age 20? You know, he's at a career high right now. Is he on track based on kind of the hype and expectation or – do you think he's not hasn't really broken through because he wins in the Challenger Tour, but not really at the Grand Slam level? Um, I guess what does he need to do to really get to that next level? Sorry, uh, uh, I'll start with Francis. Uh, um, Francis has made really good progress um, athletically, movement-wise, and on challengers. He's had zero success so far at the tour level. I believe he's won two matches. At the, on the tour level this year. So that's where it starts. You know, obviously other young players like Zverev, Kachanov, uh, um, Chorich have, have won matches, a lot of matches at the tour level. So that's where it's got to start for him is starting to, you know, win a couple of matches, you know, in tour events, win a couple of matches in a slam, um, and then he could start making progress. He, at this point, is the most far along of the young Americans. But, like I said, he, he, he's only won a few tour matches this year. So he's got to start, you know, have a little more success at that level. But I like the progress that he's made. And then what type of player, you know, on the women's side? Obviously, you know, in general, there's more su successful players that play hard and flat. Still a lot more women play hard and flat then with a lot more spin. But I do think um, a lot of times the, the weather depends on the court a little bit of Wimbledon. If you have hot and, you know, really warm conditions, you get a higher bounce um, and the courts play a little quicker. So it's a little easier to play all around tennis and defend. If it's cool and damp, 
you know, the, the ball bounces a lot lower, so it's a lot tougher to defend. So, you know, I think it, it does depend on the surface a little bit. But in general, I do think that the bolder players, you know, stand a better chance on grass than players that defend. Thank you. Look, what about if, you, Chrissy? If, if, if power, if power, the power of Ostapenko won on red clay, <laughs> certainly – you know, the power has to win on grass. I mean, even that's even more magnified. Um, before, you could have a counterpuncher winning the French Open, and nowadays, if you look at the past few years, it's it's the power that's winning the French Open, which is the slowest surface. So certainly, Wimbledon, it's, it's that, much, that many times over that it's got to be, to me, a power player. It's, I mean, Pliskova, we're really not even talking about her, but look how well she did at the French with a big serve and with those big groundies, and that's her worst surface. So you got to give her a shot, really, with winning a lot of free points off her serve if, if her serve's on. Um, you, that's why we're, you know, we talked about Venus, and we talked about Kvitova, and we talked about Ostapenko. They're all power players. The one outsider that I wouldn't, wouldn't count out is Halep. Because I feel like I feel like Halep is still sort of on the verge and on the cusp of winning a Grand Slam, and maybe that loss uh, at the French, maybe that will jolt her enough to know that she can't be passive and she can't, you know, when she's when she's winning, and she's got to be able to play more aggressively on the big points and to close the matches, and hopefully that's a big big lesson because she let that match slip through her fingers because she wasn't aggressive enough. So maybe she'll have a second life and come back and just, you know, and she's a beautiful ball striker. She does have a big first serve when it, you know, when she uses it and she has confidence. She's the only outsider, I, I think, as far as being a counterpuncher that I, would, that I would think, you know, has a chance to win. But when I look at Pliskova, Venus, Petra, um, and Ostapenko's the jury's out. Okay, let's, let's talk a little bit about her. How is that French Open win going to affect her? I mean, how many times have we seen this before? A first-time Grand Slam winner, and then they fizzle. It, will she be able to do? Is she going to do that, or is she just so young and so, you know, sort of free and easy and aggressive that she's just not even going to think about it, and she's going to go on to that next level and keep hitting out with that freedom? I don't know. That remains to be seen how she's going to react from winning the French Open, but she certainly has the power. So, Thank you. Anyway, that's my answer. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. All right, we're set there. Actually, I did get word, uh, uh, Howard, your line was very low, and uh, I understand you did have a follow-up, so we'll jump back quick to Howard Fenderich at AP before we move on to Michelle in Miami. Thanks very much. Yeah, I just wanted to ask a question about the men, which is, does either of you uh, see anybody outside of the group that's won every Wimbledon title for the past 14 years, Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, and Murray. <laughs> who, who, who outside of that quartet would you give a reasonable chance of winning the title, or do you think one of those will win it yet again? Well, considering all four of them have won multiple times since 2003, uh, Hewitt would be the last person outside of that to win. 
I think obviously a lot depends on the draw until we see the draw. Will they bump up Roger from five? How far they bump him up? Um, and I, I think for realistically somebody outside of that, um, I mean, obviously Stan's never made it past the quarters. Um, I, I would think that for that to happen, you know, you, a couple guys have to lose. I, I cannot see anybody outside beating three of like beating three of those guys to win it. You know, somebody having an amazing run and beating three of those guys. Somebody, you know, let's say a Chilich and having to beat three guys, or you know, somebody ranked 15. I, I just think that's the most difficult thing. So if there is some help in the draw, a couple guys happen to lose and there's some opening in the draw, maybe there's a possibility, but you're probably in the 90 percentile minimum of one of those four guys winning. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's like a, there's a 90% chance to me one of those four guys will win. Um, my outside danger players would be Stan. You know, he has Paul Anacone now in his corner. I don't know. It's not enough, not a lot of time to sort of tweak your game that much, but Stan's got to be uh, more aggressive. And and if he gets into an aggressive frame of mind, there's a possibility. He's an outsider. Curios is always dangerous. I, and But mentally, I don't know if he can put together a lot, you know, a lot of wins in a row yet. Seven. And, and um, so, Roundage. Roundage is a question mark. Um, Zverev, I mean, you got some dangerous players that could upset one of those top four, but I just don't know. Um, I, I just don't know if they can do it consistently. Um, it's like a brick wall, I think, to get through those four players. You asked, he asked us about Zverev there. I mean, he, it, it's, to me, he, the potential is there. I, I, I need to see his draw first, but yeah, the big thing is, you know, he's never made a quarters yet of a slam. And so, you know, physically right. and mentally, until you've put yourself in the position to be able to win a slam, you know, it's hard to just say, oh, okay, you know, that's going to happen. But I probably didn't see him winning his first thousand like he did. Um, but like I said, it's just on the men's side, it's not like the women's side. Uh, you know, it's without Serena, who, you know, massively changes things if she's in the draw. The men's side is a, is a lot thinner, you know, to the outside winning these things. Look at the percentage over the last 13, 14 years of outside guys to win a slam. Thanks. Appreciate it. Okay. We're done there. So now it's Michelle Kaufman at the Miami Herald and then Richard Pagliaro at Tennis Now. Hello. Um, I want to ask hey, Michelle. about two. Hey, how are you? Um, I want to ask two questions. One is um, about Djokovic. What did you see at the French? Do you think the addition of Andre has helped anything, changed anything? What do you expect from him? And the other question is Roger coming in after the big break and really focusing on grass. Um, do you see him as the favorite or a favorite? Well, I mean, Djokovic obviously had a disappointing French Open, losing the way he did in the quarters. The team, he had never lost to him. And so that was a disappointing ending to it. Um, mm -hmm. I expect that he'll play better 
uh, on the grass. He took a wild card this week in Eastbourne, unfortunately having some weather issues. Um, I, I think that Andre will, will will help him a lot. And I spoke to Andre. He will be there for the whole duration of the tournament. He had some commitments. He was not able to stay for the rest of the French, had to leave early. So he will be there. Um, the, the biggest thing about tennis, when you win all the matches, you win. Then you start to win a lot of them in the locker room. You start to get the lead. All of a sudden, after six or seven years of invincibility, you, you have a little drop off. All of a sudden, guys start to have a little different belief going out on the court. So, Djokovic has got to get back to that place where he was before, and the only way you can do that is winning matches. I think at 30, it's not like he, you know, the hourglass is clicked away. So, I expect him to make a comeback. Um, Fed at 35, almost 36. Um, if you had to tell me who the favorite is, you know, without seeing the draw, I would say him. And the fact that he's in this position where he's at and, and only lost twice this year and, and seems to know how to listen to himself with rest and peaking at the right time, I think all, all looks good at the moment for Roger. You know, um, Thank you. The Djokovic, the Djokovic situation is hard. It's hard to, to really predict what's going to happen because we, I mean, everyone speculates, you know, but we really don't know what's going on with him in his life, with him emotionally, with him mentally as far as is he distracted, with his focus, um, with him physically. You know, we everybody's speculating, but... The truth of the matter is only he knows and only he knows where he is in his tennis and how much he wants it. And I think I admire him for, I think he's trying so hard to get, to get it back, to get his mojo back. I think you can sense he's trying so hard and, but it's been a, it's been a struggle for him because life has intervened with his robotic like focus. And that's what he's been known for is just, to be have that tunnel vision and and you know life has intervened right now so only he knows and only he knows where he's at and but once you know I've always believed once a champion always a champion I think he'll get it back eventually um, and as far as better you know the thing is is that once you get to his age I think he's still in the game because number one he's never really taken his his losses that badly he's let them roll off his back and number two he he hasn't trained like say um a rafa i mean he's trained in a different way according to his style and i think right now all he needs is really to stay in great shape and to be fresh and and he doesn't need to play a, a, a ton of matches because he has you know what's happened in the last 15 years does affect you in the present today and that's just what you know that's just like serena he and Serena and Raj were are really in the same boat in that respect. They don't need to play week in and week out. They just need to be fresh and be fit. Thank you. All right, now it's uh, Richard Pagliaro's turn from Tennis Now and then Stephanie Miles at Tennis Life. Hi, thanks so much for doing the call. It's, it's really great. I want to ask you two things. First, on Rafa, 
you know, he played, a, he looked about as good as he ever has winning the French, yet this will be his first Wimbledon in two years because he missed last year. How, what do you see for him? And then on Andy Murray, after the early loss at Queens, you know, I know he had a great Roland Garros, but he also had early losses in Madrid and Rome. What, what's your sense of where Murray's at and what needs to go right for him to sort of get it back? Uh, for Rafa, I mean, the last few years, I mean, I've seen him play last year. The biggest thing is getting through the first week. And, and you're right, Rich. I, I never seen him look better personally uh, at the French in this entire clay court season. Um, I think his serve is, is as good as it looked. The forehand back to being devastating. And, and I said it in December, and I'll say it again, I think the best thing that happened to him was bringing Carlos Moya on board. I think that's totally reinvigorated him and given him a different perspective. He, he looks a lot happier on the court. But the, the way he plays, I do think that, you know, he won't have any matches coming in on the grass. So it's all about getting through the first week. If he can get through that first week, then I think he can get a lot of confidence, you know, going into the second week. And I think that his game plays a lot better and the conditions are warmer and the ball bounces higher for him. I think his game is more effective. And I think the way he's serving should, you know, bode well for his game. But like I said, it's all about getting through that first week to put yourself in a position for the second week. Murray, it's, a, it's definitely been a confusing year. Um, obviously, you know, di- didn't realize that, you know, obviously what the physical toll took on him last year and then having to deal some this year with shingles. Um, and more than anything, you know, like I said about Djokovic, which happened to Federer three, four years ago. He's got it back now. You start to lose a little bit. Guys start to come on the court with different beliefs. And I think game-wise, you know, he struggled a little bit between offense and defense. Does he, you know, want to play more defense, want to play more offense? I do think that grass, without a doubt, is his best surface. He still moves brilliantly on the surface, and so he can defend and return as well as anybody. Um, so he didn't have any any real uh, run or results coming into the French, and he got to the semi. So I, I still think on this surface that he could easily make a deep run because of how comfortable he is on this surface. But guys are playing with renewed confidence now against him. I think with uh, Rafa, it's all the, – the big difference is the confidence. Um, he's he's stepping in, moving in. He's You know, when he wasn't confident, he was six to ten feet behind the baseline on every surface and, and just uh, counterpunching and just retrieving. And I, I feel like he's so confident now, and that's reflective in the way – how aggressive he is. He's playing close to the baseline. And he's coming into the net a lot more, which even on the clay – he, it was like natural as anything for him just to hit a ball and come in and, and volley away a winner. And we, we, we haven't seen that in Rafa. And that, to me, shows confidence when a baseliner starts coming in in a free way and, uh, you know, looks so natural up there. And, and I feel like, uh, as Brad said also, the serve, he's, he, but he's moving in, he's volleying, and, he, and he's a lot more confident. And, uh, He's going to be really psyched, I think, to play at Wimbledon. I think if it's a good grass court, if it's playing like a good grass court does, I think he's going to feel very comfortable. Um, Murray, 
you know, Andy had a, a setback at Queens. Um, I think he would have liked to have a few matches under his belt. Um, and I and I agree with with Brad. I, I don't mean to be repetitious, but last year, 2016, took so much out of him. It was a rigorous and a demanding year, and he came up, you know, number one in the world. He played more tournaments than he had recently, and I just think it's it, it's still taking its toll a little bit on him. But if he's going to resurrect his a game anywhere, it's going to be at Wimbledon in front of his crowd. Um, but he's got to be in a he's got to be in an aggressive mode, and he's got to feel that that first strike of the ball uh, is his. Yeah. Thanks very much. Thank you. You're welcome. Brad, you mentioned uh, the key for Rafa to get to the second week, starting in 2012. Second round, first round, fourth round, which is second week, Manic Monday. Second round and absent. So uh, it's been a while since he's gone uh, so deep in, into Wimbledon. Let's see. Next is Stephanie Miles at Tennis Life, and then Tom Peabot at Tennis Canada. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking the call. I have two questions. The first one was about the state of number one right now at both the men's and women's games. Uh, as much as we talked about, about everybody being more aggressive and, and, and hitting the ball hard, you may have two very defensive players at the top. So I was wondering what your thoughts about that. And the second question I had was about Coco Vandeweghe. I, I look at her as having several who has everything it takes to win Wimbledon, but she's just fired her coach and, you know, everything's changed. And I was wondering what, what you, you thought the state of her career is because she's not, she's not a kid anymore. Okay. First of all, she didn't fire her coach. So don't say that. <laughs> or, Okay. There you go. Thank you. She fired her coach. Oh, she parted ways with her coach. Uh, yeah, be I think she, she. I think. I think he left. Yeah, he left her. <laughs> I was for that. I mean, she okay. even said she was thank surprised. You. So, okay, thank um, you. Uh, yeah, I just want you to get your facts right. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I think at the top of the game, uh, it's very cha- it's very chaotic right now, and I think there and I you know think there's a lot of fragility. Um, I think that the players that have been at the top have not lived up to their billing, and and, you know, that's a constructive criticism, and I feel terrible saying that, but I, I, everyone who's reached number one, um, they haven't carried on the momentum, and they haven't stepped up and really embraced that position of leadership on and off the court. Um, so in saying that, you know, there's, you really can't count on any one player right now like you could count on Serena, you know, in the past. Um but I also, in defense of, of that, there is a lot of depth, and that is obvious. Uh, that more depth than I, you know, I've ever seen. And you can look at the top 20, 30 players, like Brad said, um, to, to win a major. That that's that's considered a lot of depth. So I mean, to me, there's a big transition time now in the women's game. Um, so we have to think that that's kind of exciting in a sense that nope, not one player is dominating. But on the other hand it's time for, you know, these players to come through. And who's going to be the next one that we're going to get really excited about, you know, who's going to come along? Um, what was your your other question about top players? About Sorry. Coco. That was... About Coco. About Bandua. Oh, Coco. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, Coco um, was very, I mean, was very impressive last year. Uh, wasn't it last year? Was it last year she had a good Wimbledon? Um yeah. She's shown that she can play on the grass, and she's 
you know, I think with Craig Carden, I loved what, you know, I loved his temperament for her. And I love that he had coached Martina and he had coached some other top players and he had that uh, experience of knowing how to deal with an aggressive player, maybe a little high strung. Um, he's, he was a very calming, I think, influence on Coco. And um, I think he will be missed. You know, I think he was a, a great addition to her team. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to tell where Coco is now because she's so, she's like a yo-yo. Like she's been so up and down. And she will play a great match, and you think, oh, she could really win. She could win Wimbledon, and then she'll play a match that, you know, you, you think she could lose first round. So I think she's up and down, and I think the 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 fact that, that Craig, she's changing a team now and that, that Craig um, is no longer with her, you know, you kind of wonder if that might have an effect on her tennis and on the stability of her game right now. But certainly a very dangerous player, especially on the grass, and um, – you know, you'd have to say she and even Madison Keys. No one's talking about Madison because she's unfortunately been injured. But she and Madison, to me, are the two uh, dark horses that could do some damage at this this year's Wimbledon. So, uh, on your first question, you were asking about at the top of the game in the men's and the women's. Yes. Yes. And, and, and you said about defensive at the top of the game. Well, I think she well, had Kerber, Kerber and Murray when they were okay. number one. So, which you meant? Yes, exactly. Yep. Okay. Okay. Um, well, well, first in the women's side, I mean, right now, I mean, just go look at the race. It, you know, from Halep to Svetlina to Pushkova. I mean, right now, there's probably you know. Obviously, there's two slams left. There's a lot that can happen. And just seems like, you know, I have no clue on who is <laughs> going to take the mantle to being number one. The one that surprised me the most was Muguruza. I thought, actually, after she won the Friends last year, that she might step up and be a solid top three player. And she's completely fallen off the rails. I, I never expected Kobe to have the year that she had in the history of the world last year. Then all of a sudden, maybe you expect her to, like, wow, she had this outrageous 216, then maybe she'll have a, you know, at least half as good in 217, and now she's nowhere to be found. So the women's game right now with Serena out, there's opportunity, and, um, and for a lot of them is how you manage that opportunity, you know, how you manage yourself week in and week out with the opportunity. Um, with Coco, her biggest problem by far, I'll just use one word, consistency. She has no consistency in her game. Like, she played great in Australia, gets to the semis. But coming into Australia, like, last year, like, she went from, like, the grass to the end of the year winning, like, one or two matches. And then now she struggled after that. So she, she struggles to put together, like, week, week in and week out, like, you know, two, three quarters in a row, two, three semis, you know, consistent results. So that, that's obviously for her and her team to figure out why she can't get consistent results because she has a big serve, she has a big game, she moves well athletically. I, and you, you feel like it's all there ready for her to make a run to the top ten, especially after Australia. But I, for some reason that – First round is Achilles for her a lot, and just that consistency. But 
I feel like she should be ranked higher, but I, I can't give you the reason why she's not more consistent week in and week out. And in the men's game, you know, I mean, obviously it's at this point, unless something massively changes, it's a two-horse two race for, for one, with Rafa having a big lead over Fed. And those guys are two incredible all-arounders who are not defensive-minded. They are amazingly offensive-minded. Biggest misconception about Rafa in the history of the world he has never been a defensive player for one second. He's an offensive machine who's willing to play defense, but the basis of his game is relentless offense. Even if he's eight feet behind the baseline, he is relentless on offense that's willing to play defense. And Fed is an unbelievable all-arounder. So in the men's, it's just a two-horse race at the moment unless something dramatically changes at Wimbledon. You know, I just want to just want to throw in one thing. When can I just throw in one thing about Coco? Um, you know, I think fitness is is crucial for her, and and I think that her fitness uh, level, I think, determines whether she wins or loses matches. And Brad, when you said you didn't, you know, you don't you don't know why she's not more consistent. I think. Listen, this is a woman who relies on power and she relies on hitting winners and she does not want to run down balls. So if she's one second slow, she, you know, the, the margin for error is huge. You know, she's going to make more errors. She's going to try to go for winners when she's out of position. And I think that the women nowadays are hitting with such placement and pinpoint accuracy and moving, you know, opening up the court so well you know, that is one area that Coco has really worked on, by the way, in the last few years and has gotten so much fitter. But, again, she doesn't want to run down balls. And the beauty of a player like Halep who can run down balls is she is a more consistent player. She plays the percentages. She can wait for the right shot to go for a winner. But I think Coco very often, if she can't get to a ball, she's going to be a risk. She's going to take more risks. And that's why you know, she's not as consistent as she could be. Thanks very much. Did I say that? Did I try to say that with uh, some grace there? <laughs> Absolutely. Very I diplomatic. Nice when I said that. You get it, though. You get it, though, right? All right. Completely. Excellent. Uh, Tom Peabody at Tennis Canada is next, and then Bill Simons from Inside Tennis. Uh, question for Chrissy is how good can CC Bellis be? And question for Brad, uh, I'm really quite shocked considering he was in the final last year and granted he lost the first round of Queens, but I'm really shocked at how little Milos is mentioned as a possible winner this year. I mentioned him. I mentioned him as a danger out of the well, top four, but, you know. No, anyway. you're, I did notice that, Chris. Okay. But, uh, well, everybody else, it's just unbelievable. I know. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think. Well, let's go to Cece first. Um, gosh, so I mean, she's really—I don't know what she was ranked this time last year, but she's really made a jump in the rankings and very, very impressive uh, wins that she's had in the last few months. Um, she had, a, you know, especially on the grass, and and you know, I think Cece, I think Cece could be a solid top twenty player. I, I don't. You know, I think she's still developing her game, so it's hard to tell. Uh, I think she's a little – the limitations she has height-wise, um, you know, she makes up for as best as she can with 
her, you know, the hey, Chrissy, I'm looking at her bio. She drank, I'm looking at her bio. She yeah, drank 40. Like a, you, but she's yeah, listing now. herself at five foot seven. You think that's an incredibly generous five seven? Well, I'm five six, and when I stand up next to her, she might be a touch. She might be five six, five six and a half. But you know, okay. let's not talk about the heights and the weights of the women, okay? Because you know, they're not always accurate. But um, I just want to finish saying that what she lacks, maybe in height, she doesn't make up for in her movement, and you know, she's getting more power on the ball. She's She's her serve was always her weakest uh, point, and I think that um, they're really working on getting some more speed on that on that serve. But I love her. I love her hunger. She's hungry, and you talk about the top players, you know, and what who's going to make the difference? The one we talk about the fitness and we talk about power, but who's hungrier? Who really needs to be number one? Who really wants it? And that I think Cece Bell's has that. Um, ability to want a match so badly. She has very, you know, few highs and lows, and and she's always concentrating. She's always focused. She doesn't get down herself. She's got a great competitive attitude. But I see her as a solid top twenty. You know, and I think in the next year. I, I'll say, Cece, like I'm rooting for. She's a Bay Area native. Um, yeah. You know, to me, I, I think that let's start with top ten potential because I, I think one thing on the uh, lady side, it's a rarity. She has a much better forehand, and normally it's usually the backhand. I think she moves tremendously well, can play with a lot of guile, um, serve is by far the weakest part of her game, but I, I think she's a great competitor. So I think that, that yeah. lifts her, and it, she'd be in my 40 that's got a shot to win the tournament. I, I, I'll say that. Um, but let's start with top, top 10, and, and when she gets there, then we can reevaluate. On Milos, he had an amazing 2016, finished the year three in the world, and the last match of 2016 may be the best match that I've ever seen Milos play and compete in three and a half hours against Murray. But 2017, if you want to say one word that comes to mind for Milos, it's an unfortunate word, is injury. He's just, he can't stay healthy. And he's had numerous different injuries. Um, and he's a big guy. He's like 6'5", 218 pounds. And so that's the thing, unfortunately, that you're thinking about more than, you know, can he make a deep run is can he stay healthy? Um, but I think that if he can stay healthy, he just parted ways with Krychek. Um, and so that he's had a few different changes of coaches, you know, in the last year. But I think if now, you know, you got to see where he lands in the draw and, you know, we'll come into this woman with a little different mindset than last year when he got to the finals of Queens, you know, then had the great run, had McEnroe with him on his team. Uh, now this year comes in losing first round. Now got a lot of points to defend. He happens a final coming off. So how will his mindset be? But I, I need to see his draw. I give him, you know, he would be in that second second group of guys that that could make a deep run. That's why you know. But I don't have as much you know belief where he's at this year to where he was last year. But I still think that you know I could see him making a quarters. But I I, I got to see his draw first. Thank you. 
Okay, next up is Bill Simons at Inside Tennis, and then we'll go to London and Kieran Gill at the Daily Mail. Hi, Brad. Uh, good work on the radio this week. Um, two two quick questions. Uh, Thank if you. If you step back and, and change one thing in our sport, what would that be? And secondly, uh, why the heck do you think the, the big five players, so to speak, had had this dominance? That's that's pretty incredible, and the others just just really can't break through. And then I've got a quick question for Chris. Uh, well, I could change about 50 things, but you know, let's start with getting a shot clock on the court. Let's, uh, you know, so that everybody knows exactly how long it takes in between points. Boom, we can see it. Let's get shot spot on red clay. It drives me crazy watching the French, and we don't still have shot spot there. I, I can't stand seeing umpires check marks, and then a lot of times they check the marks wrong. So that that gets on my nerves. So I want to see shot spot on clay, and let's see. Um, one other thing that if I'm commissioner for the day, you cannot catch your ball toss. You throw your ball toss up, I'll give you one mulligan in the match, that's it. You cannot catch your toss 30 times in a match because something you did yourself. So I see that far too often. That's one thing that drives me crazy. Um, and the, the, the great thing about men's tennis, women's tennis, and sports in general now is Used to be you turned 30, you were on the other side of your career. You were on the downside. But now I, I'm really starting to believe age is just a number. The rookie, Ronaldo at 32, is the best soccer player in the world. Tom Brady playing football at a level where he's going to be 40 soon, that he's the best, best quarterback of, you know, ever, and look at, at his age. So Roger's almost 36. So guys are starting to believe and athletes that you can do things longer, you can continue to improve. And I think actually mentally, maybe they're more relaxed. Maybe they're more um, easygoing ab about how, how this whole journey and process goes. And I, I, I think it's, you know, a lot tougher now for younger players. When you used to see so many younger players break in at 17, 18 and do amazing things, I think it's harder to now do these things physically at a younger age. So I think that's lend itself for the success of, um, of older players doing well. And I think it all starts back to me, to 2005. Andre getting to the finals of the U.S. Open at 35, I think immediately changed how guys view, wow, Andre could make the finals at 35 after being on the tour for 20 years. So I, I really think that that changed, probably changed Roger a lot too because he played him. So I, I do think that that's changed. And now guys are, you know, the season doesn't stop. As soon as the season stops, you're training from diet to full teams. Everybody's doing whatever they can to push the envelope. It's amazing to see. Thanks, you know, I think that with Brad, if I may add, with I'm just going to add one thing with what Brad said about um, now players are playing longer and longer and into the, well into their 30s. I love that because I think it takes the emphasis and takes the pressure off of junior tennis. There's not a rush. There's not a rush, okay? You don't have to win the 14 nationals or 16 nationals. And you don't have, you know, these agents are coming to junior tournaments and, and you know, it's just there's so much pressure, like Brad said, to be, um, looked at as a potential pro when you're 15, 16, are you going to make it? 
who cares? Just develop your game. Make it more fun. And I think that right now everyone's looking towards, again, middle 20s to to middle 30s. That seems to be the peaking time. And, and I think that will take the pressure off being a great junior player and just training too hard and, and having too much pressure. As far as um, what about the bathroom breaks, Brad, about, you know, now – these bathroom breaks, I, in my 18 years of playing, I don't ever remember leaving the court to go to the bathroom. I never left once ever. They, they once. didn't even ba- basically allow you to do it. Yeah, I, I never left once. And, you know, what? a woman could leave for specific reasons, but I never left once. And when I see a Venus or a Conta, you know, leave for 10 minutes, I'm like, what are they doing? And how unfair is that for the player that's waiting? So... They, they've got to make it. And, and you know what? We've talked about it for two years, and the WTA and the ATP, everyone says, you know, we're going to make that change. I don't see it. Nothing's changed. Okay. That's my two cents worth. Hey, hey Chrissy. Um, all right. We all got that off our collective chest. <laughs> what? Oh, yeah. What about your other question for me? Uh, hey, Chrissy, you, you talked uh, oh, about Petra and how – after she was stabbed, she come, comes back and has this um, appreciation, even gratitude for the game. Um, if you could just step back and look at the big picture, you've had such a great lifetime in this sport. Just in, in, in a moment or two, try and capture your appreciation or what you love the most or uh, most grateful for in this sport. What I was most grateful, my appreciation. Um, you know, I think that I appreciate the fact that I came up in the 70s when it was all starting. And the whole attitude of equality and of women, you know, versus the men and the unfairness that we were experiencing and I feel so lucky that I came right after Billie Jean King and I saw her with my own eyes what she did and how she promoted the game and how she fought for women's rights and you know for me the camaraderie of the 70s with Billie Jean and Rosie and Virginia Wade and Martina I mean we had such great we have still to this day they are my greatest friends so, I mean, I think it's the camaraderie. I think it's the people I met. I think it's the, um, I mean, life just opened up in the 70s for all women tennis players. We got to travel the world. We we, we got to pay, play tennis and have, you know, for money. We we earned a great living. We We got to compete and be respected. I mean, women athletes at that time were just starting to be respected and looked up to. And... I, you know, just I appreciate it, and I appreciate the opportunity that my father gave me because he's the one that started me. I, at six years old, I never would have looked at a tennis court and said, mm. you know, that's what I want to do. I probably probably would have been a school teacher, and not that that's bad, but I probably would have decided on another job. But uh, so I appreciate him and and his kind of guiding me or pushing me into a sport that I, you know, eventually fell in love with. Right. Thanks a lot. All right, we'll wrap it up with uh, two folks over in London. First, Kieran Gill at the Daily Mail, and then Neil McLeman at the Daily Mirror. Hi there. Um, I'm just, I'd just like your opinion on John McEnroe's 
verdict on Serena. Do you, do you agree or do you disagree? Would she actually be ranked hypothetically 700? And also, McEnroe this morning suggested that men and women play together. What's your opinion on that as well? Uh, okay, I'm, my, my, uh, Brad, my, my answer is short, so I'm going to go first. Um, I feel like it's irrelevant. I feel like we've been through this story before with Martina Navratilova and Steffi Groff. They were questioned, too, where would they be in the men's ranking? I feel like it's irrelevant, and it, and it, it, just, it doesn't mean anything. It, 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 and I also feel that if, and I even hate to say it, but if Serena Williams played the number 200-man player, she might be him. But if she played the number 500 man, she might lose to him. It all depends on how the games and how their styles match up. So that's my that's my answer. But my first answer is, who cares? And it's irre- irrelevant. And we've been well, through this before. Good good word choice, Chrissy. Um, first of all, I have no, you know, I don't know what the context of why he said it, why he's doubled down on it. I will tell you, SW23 is the greatest female athlete in any sport ever. And maybe Steffi Graf is the second best, you know, athlete. And you don't ask um, about, let's say, a 130-pound boxer that may be the best ever. You don't ask if he could beat, like, a, a heavyweight. You know, he might be a better boxer than the heavyweight, but obviously he wouldn't beat him. But it, it, it's totally ridiculous to ask or think about. They don't compete against each other. And I thought uh, Serena had... A six one six one, you know, beatdown on a tweet to John. I thought it was tremendous. I thought that said everything, um, and and doesn't need to, anything else need to be said after what she said on Twitter. It was perfect. You know, I have to put Martina Navratilova in that group too because I mean, she could have been an Olympic skier, she could have been an Olympic ice hockey player, she could have been an Olympic athlete. I mean, she's tremendous in every sport. So I, along with Steffi, I would have to put her. Sorry, Brad. I know you have special hindrance yeah. to Steffi, but you right. got to put Martina in that group too. Very good. We will uh, wrap things up now with Neil McLeeman at the Daily Mirror. Both of you. Can I just ask a quick one regarding our Joe Conta? Would you name her as amongst the possible winners? And just specifically for Chris as well. It's 40 years since we've had a, a female yes. winner at Wimbledon, Virginia Way. Just yes. your specific, particular memories of that. Well, yes, I would count her in as a potential winner, absolutely. And I would also – I didn't even talk about Muguruza. Um, I, Muguruza would have to be dangerous as well as Joe Conta. Um, it, it all depends on Joe Conta's nerves. How is she going to play? Um, because I think she could be a good – I think she's a good grass court player. And, and if her, her weapons are her serve and her forehand and she – you know, she's very good at moving forward and coming into the net. She has a good volley. There's no reason why she can't be a top contender, um, but it's going to come down to her nerve and if she believes it and how she handles the pressure of, of playing in front of the Brit. The Brit. And can right. you just just touch on, um, oh, um, on 1977 oh, as well? Is there a second part to that? Wait, wait. Oh, that was uh, Virginia. Sorry. Yeah, that was the last time a Brit won. Virginia, yes, female. Yeah. What, what do you? Want? I, I'm. Well, um, 
I certainly don't have fond memories of my match with Virginia. <laughs> yeah, <sure. laughs> to tell you the truth, that wasn't one of my finer moments. I kind of let the crowd get to me. Um, but at the same time, um, over the years, I was really happy that she ended up winning that year. And I think that, you know, it changed her life and it just put a stamp on her career. She was a Wimbledon champion. And I think that carries on throughout your whole life. It's such a, a wonderful privilege and um, so, you know, anytime a Brit wins, I, I mean, I, I was thrilled when, when I, I was happy that she won Wimbledon after she beat me in the semis, let's put it that way. I said, she better win after she beat me. <laughs> um, and also thrilled when Andy Murray won. You know, you always, uh, it, there's just something so special about um, a player winning their own country's championships, you know, and, and, and I think that, uh if anybody can do it, uh, if anybody can do it on the way they've been playing um, on, in the on the women's side, it's Joe Conta for sure. And I, I boy, she's just going to have to show us some some guts, but she can do it. Yes, I'll put Joe Conta in my forty. You know, they can win it. I think it all starts that she never made it past the first week at Wimbledon, so she, you know, I'm. I, I would say clay is her weakest surface, and then she's yeah. by far her best surface is hardcore, so she's never done well at Wimbledon. So for her, you know, it's two tournaments. The first tournament is get through the first week. Manage yourself and get through the first week and put yourself in position to where things can happen. You know, without seeing the draw, I expect it like just like the French, just like a lot of the slams now for the women's. I expect half the seeds to be blown up before the first week. It's just the way these tournaments have gone. And I think since Indian Wells, Chrissy, every single yeah. tournament, there's been a different winner every week. Not, it's unbelievable. But if, if every single just, week yeah. since Indian Wells, there's been a different winner. So I just think that for Joe Conta, and obviously a lot of expectations and pressure, the one thing that you can control more than anything is what happens on the tennis court. So get through that first week and put yourself in position. Because yeah. if, you, if you see the way she plays, she moves well, got a good serve, and, yeah. and hits the ball big. She kind of plays like Azarenka a bit. Um, so I, I, I think her game should translate well to grass. But, you know, you have to make the result. They don't give you the result. And my memory yeah, of 77 <laughs> – I think I was 16 years old, and ooh, uh, I, I remember her winning it. I remember the whole Our Genie thing, but, but I, I mean, I was only 16. Uh, and I think it was probably more in the headlines here in California that, can you believe it, Chrissy lost. Oh, I, I couldn't believe it. Um, I gotta, listen, I got to say, say one thing about Joe. Um, you know, the good news is she's been in big match situations and come through. She's been some big names. She's done she's done well. I mean, she deserves an she deserves to be. What is her what she's top what is she 7 or 8? What 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 is her ranking? Yes, 8 I think. Yeah. Yeah, right? She's like 7 yeah. or 8. I mean, yeah. top 10 for sure, yeah. right? Correct? Yes. Okay. Correct. So, I mean, she's 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 in the she's in the circle of of champions, okay? And if she I would love to see her be so inspired you know, out there in the grass in front of her people and playing her game the way she knows how to play. She knows how to play aggressive tennis. 
you know, she knows how to do that. She knows how to play bold, and she she's good with the first strike of the ball. She knows how to volley. There's Everything's there. All the parts are there. It's going to be up to her. It's going to be in her head. How is she going to view this experience, negatively or positively? That's great. Thank you both very much. All right, Ted. On, uh, on that note, we will wrap things up. I thank everybody for your interest. Brad and Chrissy, thank you very much for your time. And it all starts Monday, 7 a.m. Eastern, ESPN, exclusive two weeks, all day, every day. Thanks a lot, everybody.